All right. So we're in a series called Amen. We're talking about prayer. And our goal is for everybody in this room to start praying. If you don't have like a prayer life or something like that, we want you to get started in praying. Are we good? Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been talking about different styles of prayer. Maybe you never prayed before, or maybe you're like, I want to get started, getting pr- I want to start praying, or maybe some of you are like, I have been praying, but it's, my prayer life's been kind of dying out. And so what we've been doing is we've been talking about different styles of prayer. And so if you were with us, I'm going to do a little recap in case this is your first week here. Uh, in case uh, you're like, where do I start? A good place to start is this thing that we talked in the first week called practicing his presence. Practicing his presence is basically our way of saying, just sit there in silence and acknowledge that God is here. And I think that's a great place to start. So let's just say you're like, uh, I'm going to pray for the first time today. Dear God, uh, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to say, right? The best place to start is practicing his presence. Some people like to do this breathing exercise. They breathe you know, in a way they think like, okay, well, every breath that I breathe is a gift from God. So maybe by breathing in, I'm breathing in his presence and I breathe out. And you just sit there and you do that for a few minutes until you are reminded by other people or reminded by the things around you or just reminded by the way that you're breathing in and out that God is here with us. And you just end your prayer time right there and that would have been a session of prayer. So I'm pretty sure everybody here knows how to breathe. Okay, so if you're like, I've never prayed before, where do I start? This is a great place to start. The week after that, we talked about this. We called it the prayer examine. The prayer examine is something this guy named Ignatius of Loyola came up with. And basically, he thought, instead of us lifting our prayers to God because, you know, we have some things, thoughts in our head, what if we let God tell us what we should pray for? And so he would sit there in silence, and then every once in a while, God will give him an image. And he's like, I have no idea why you brought that memory back in my head, but if you want me to, I'll pray about it. And so they'll start praying that stuff that came into their minds. Or <clears throat> there is a person's face that comes up into your head, and you're like, I haven't seen that person forever. But, God, I'm going to trust that you brought that memory into my head, so I'm going to pray for that person, you know, and so you pray for that person. That's what the prayer examine is. You let God reveal to you what you should be praying for. Then the week after that, Pastor Stan kind of gave a talk about, kind of did a Q&R kind of thing, right, about discerning his voice. Sometimes we're sitting there and you think you hear something from God, you receive inspiration from God, and you're like, I'm not sure if that's from God or not. And for a starter... It might take a lot of practice to discern if it's from God or not, but then, you know, Stan gave us some, um, some pointers, some ways that people in the past have discerned God's voice, n- namely looking at scripture and then our look to our tradition, to our reasoning, and to our experiences to see if this is actually from God. And then the two weeks following that, Pastor Lori came up here and started talking about different types of prayers, such as intercessory prayer, when you pray for somebody else. How do you do that? And I believe, I wasn't here that week, but I, I, I listened to it, and I remember Debbie came up here and shared her experience, right? And I really enjoyed that. And then the week after that, which was last week, we talked about receiving prayer. That sometimes it's awkward, you know, when somebody's like, can I pray for you? And you're like, oh, okay. You know, and am, am I bothering you? Am, is this, you know, am I wasting your time for, by you praying for me? No, like last week, Pastor Lori said, it's, it's good for people to pray for you. It might be a humbling experience for us. So, these are the five different types of prayers that we've been talking about. And for some of you, you're like, I've been praying like this my whole life. Actually, when I look at that screen, I see different types of prayers that really connect with me. But there might be some of you who look at the list on the screen and say, these types of prayers, they don't really click with me. I've been around people who are really good at praying for other people, but I'm not one of them. 
Or, you know, I try to sit in silence, but I start thinking about different things and I can't really focus in just sitting in silence. I can't do that. And so the series is basically our way of saying, maybe there's other forms of prayers that you can connect with. And maybe through that, that'll be an entryway into exploring more about what prayer could mean to you. So what we discovered about these five things I put on the screen is that they all have one thing in common. And that is this, that these are all prayer as personal, meaning this is between me and God. I want to make sure that God hears my heart and that I hear God's heart and we have this communion between me and him, right? That's what we talked about. But over time, as people started reading the scripture, okay, this is early on, like 2,000 years ago, as people read scripture, they're like, but we see another form of prayer keep popping up in the Bible and we want to start praying like that. So I'm going to give you one example from the book of Revelation. I know it's that book that people don't like to read, but okay, <clears throat> of this different form of prayer, and uh, we'll talk about it after we read it. So let's take a look. Revelation chapter 5. And when he had taken it, and we'll talk about that in a second, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And you're like, this is exactly why I don't read Revelation, because I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and you know what? You get a pass today, because we're not talking about the things that confuse us. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. So you can imagine, harp, golden bowl with incense in it. It's like, oh, heaven sounds like a very interesting place. Oh, he's John the Apostle had a vision of what, you know, what heaven is like, and he's describing what he's seeing. He sees 24 guys sitting on the throne, and in the middle is Jesus as, as a lamb, and these people are holding a golden bowl with incense and harps. And they're like, what, what is that about? Every once in a while, John will reveal to us what these imageries mean. And this is one of those examples. This full of incense, this bowl, they are what? The prayers of God's people. And you're like, that confuses me even more. Because the following verses really don't talk about anything about that. But three chapters later, that imagery comes back. So let's take a look at chapter 8. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Now, the altar in the Jewish mind is a place where you put your offerings, so whether it be an animal sacrifice, you know, you bring your crops, you put it on fire, and the smoke goes to the heavens. And as it goes up, because back then they believed that God was up there and we were down here. Today we know that God is all around us. But back then they believed that God was exclusively up there or, and, and inside a temple. So when they light something on fire and they see the smoke go to the sky, they're like, oh, God is accepting our, you know, our, our offering. This is so good. Here's your birthday present. You know, like, here it is. Take it. And so, but the actual thing isn't going up there. The, the, the smoke is going up there. So people will talk about the aroma, the smell. And so when you put beef on the grill and the smoke goes to the heavens, they're like, God is pleased with his meat sacrifice. That's how they saw it. But you see, so in their temple system, they have a big altar where they put these animals and all these things on there. Okay. But as you go into the inner room, now we're inside of a building, at the innermost core of the, of the temple, we have a smaller altar. It's about this size. So it's about the size of one of these tiles, I guess, a little bit bigger. Okay, and it was specifically made not to put animals or crops on it. It was specifically made for you to put incense on it. And so it smells good. So when you light it on fire, the room gets filled with smoke, with a smell. Like, I guess, you know, recently I experienced essential oils. I don't know if some of you guys are into that. And the room smells like that, right? It's kind of like that, except it's better. And so as, as they light it on fire and it, it starts to fill the room, okay, with the smoke, they believe that this is where God's throne is. Okay, that's what they believed. And before God's throne and before his presence, God is like smelling all this aroma. And they're like, yes, I love this. So that's what they believe. They believe that the way that you offer something to God and, is to 
fill the room with smoke that smells really, really good. Okay, so that's, that's what's happening here. He's saying, the angel who had the censer, right, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Okay, so are you guys following so far? The incense and the golden bowl are the representation of people's prayers. Okay, and as he lights it on fire and the smoke fills the room, they believe that God is like just sniffing up all this smoke, all this aroma, along with our prayers, and because of that, God is well pleased. Next verse. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God and the angels, uh, from the angel's hand. So here's an interesting concept of prayer. And it, it's an imagery, but nonetheless, people looked at this and said, this is not the way that I offer prayer. When I pray something to God, right, it's like, hey, I have a thought, uh, what do you think? And there's nothing wrong with that. Or like, I have a problem, can you fix it? And there's nothing wrong with that either. I'm just saying there's another form of prayer that's being introduced here, and that is prayer as offering. So it's like God is most, well, is most pleased by our prayers to him, so I've got to make sure that what I give to him is the best that it could be. And I'll give you an example of that, okay? For the past week, my wife and I, we've been revisiting some of our old emails. Yeah, that's right. From 12 years ago, uh, I sent her this one email, and then she responded back. We went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was sharing with her, and as I was reading this, she's like, please stop reading it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to keep reading it. She realized that she, what did she say? It's like, oh, I used to be more spiritual back then. Or maybe you're trying to impress me. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but as I was reading this, right, I noticed that her grammar is perfect. And I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. Like, reading back through these emails, I realized... I was sending these sloppy emails to her, and she was sending me back these elegant, nice, well-structured sentences. And I said, well, how, it's like, man, you're so good at that. And she's like, well, it better be because I proofread it. I checked it three times before I sent it to you because <laughs> I was trying to impress you. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, right? And then I realized, well, that's exactly what this is, okay, where we, we don't just pray things that come to our minds. We don't just say, God, dear God, uh, yeah, the other day I was driving, and, and there's a car that cut in front of me, and I was so angry, but I realized that you were telling me that I needed to have patience, so I slowed down a little bit. I saw a car next to me that was, that was, that was trying to go to the right lane because the right blinker light was on, so I slowed down even more, and then the car wouldn't merge, and I started thinking, oh, maybe this car merged from another lane and forgot to turn off that you know, blinker, and so I, you know, I was like, oh, maybe this person didn't mean to change lanes, so I sped up, and then he honked at me, and God, I'm so frustrated. What am I supposed to do with these crazy drivers in Los Angeles? Right? And for some of you, that's how you pray. And that's okay. I'm just saying that there's another form of prayer that's mentioned in the scriptures where it's like, rather than just blabbing off whatever comes to my mind, what if we actually took the time, wrote it down, edited it, and looked through it and say, oh, I should change that word with a better word, and maybe I should do this, I should do that. And then when it's finally ready, you get on your knees and you lift it up in prayer because it's an offering. As a matter of fact, when I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, my professor said, in front of my class, we're all, we're all sitting around this big table, so we're all facing each other. He said, we are about to write down a prayer. But keep in mind, in about 10 minutes, you are going to be sharing this prayer with your whole class. And so we're like, okay. So we sat down. He's like, you can use your paper, you can use your laptop, whatever you want. So I was on my laptop. I'm like, no, I changed that word. I went online. What's a good synonym for this? Oh, that's a, that's, that sounds really good. That's impressive. And I realized I was doing all these things because I wanted my 
future pastor friends, my colleagues, to think that I was holier than I actually was, you know? So I wanted to impress them. And as we're typing up or writing these prayers, the professor would walk around the room looking behind our shoulders, over our shoulders, you know? And at the end, he would say, guys, by the way, you're not going to share these prayers with anybody. Don't worry about it. But did you notice how much more effort you put into changing your prayers and making sure that it was good when you knew that it was going to be presented before your classmates? Like, how much more should we edit and perfect our prayers if it's going to be offered to God? And I thought, oh, that's so true, you know? Right, so because of that, in the early church 2,000 years ago, people started using these things called composed prayers. Composed prayers. You write it down, and you read it. As a matter of fact, when you think about the prayers of the Old Testament, we call them the Book of Psalms, a lot of the Psalms were not written by one person. One person might have written the whole thing, and somebody else might have gone back and edited it so it sounded better. But it, scholars believe that it wasn't written by one person. It was written by a group of people who edited it over and over and over again until they realized it was perfect enough for them to raise it up to God. So this is one of the most ancient forms of prayers, although it's the least used prayer in today's like, modern church. And I think, there's, I think there's a good reason why we don't pray like this anymore. Okay, the re- one of the reasons why we don't pray like this anymore, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a quote up here by, by an author guy, his name is Sky Jatan, he says this. The reason some Christian traditions don't affirm or utilize composed prayers is that they confuse spontaneity for authenticity. If it's not coming right off the cuff, then it must not be authentic. But then, let me ask you this. We just sang two songs that were composed before we actually sang them. Most of you love singing worship songs, but they were written by somebody else. Would that be considered inauthentic? I don't think anybody would argue that when you sing songs to God that's written by somebody else, it's inauthentic. Uh, I mean, as a matter of fact, I love the fact that we're singing songs that are written by somebody else. Otherwise, we will all stand, Daniel will play one chord, and everyone will start singing their own version of whatever's on their minds. It would sound miserable, right? But what, there are churches that do that, actually. Okay? And there's a beauty to that, too. But here in this church, our worship director made the conscious decision to make sure that everybody's singing the same song. I don't know if that was a conscious decision, Daniel. I think that's just how, yeah, you don't know anything else. Yeah. We love order. That's why, yeah. (laughs) Authenticity has nothing to do with whether something's been written before or if you're coming up with it on the spot. And so when we think about prayer as an offering, we start to have a different attitude about it. There's a more of a reverence that's, that's, covered, that, that's covering our, our, our prayers. And you're like, well, is there, are there examples of this in the Bible? And the answer is yes, but kind of no. Yes in the fact that yes, it did happen in the biblical days. No in the sense that they don't explicitly tell you that that's what they were doing. You have to understand the cultural context to understand that's what they were actually doing. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16 to look at an example of somebody who did this. We're looking at a guy named Paul and his, his, his traveling buddy, his name is Silas, and one of the things that they did was they would go around telling people about the love of Jesus, but every once in a while they'll come, ac- come across somebody that's opposed to that kind of love. And so Paul and Silas, they pray against it, and because of that, these, these, these forces are pushing back on it, and because of that, you know, um, the guy who's making money off of fighting against God's love, he starts to lose money, and so he falsely accuses Paul and Silas and wants to send him to jail. That's where we pick up the story. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, which is something that's reserved for people who committed a high offense. Okay, it's not just somebody who just stuck, stole a stick of gum or something. This is somebody that's 
labeled as somebody who's, who is going to fight the empire, and so we need to shut him down before he makes any move, like that kind of thing. <coughs> After they had been severely flogged, similar to what happened to Jesus, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Quick context here. A jailer of the highest order, we know that because it says it was guarded carefully. That, that means if, if I was a jailer, and I was in charge of take, making sure that these people don't escape and that they're due, they're, they're, the punishment that's coming their way is, is carried out on them. As a jailer, I knew that there's this one rule I had to live by. And that one rule was this. If these guys escape under my watch as a jailer, anything that was supposed to come upon them will come upon me and my family. So I better make sure that I do everything right to make sure these guys don't escape because I love my family and I love my life, right? So I'm going to do everything I can. That's the implication so far in this story. Okay, next verse. When he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So this jailer, realizing how severe the punishment for these characters are, he says, I got to do whatever I can to make sure that they don't escape. So when it comes to jail, the jailer at the time had the choice of where they want to put the person in. Okay, so back then the jails were in different layers. The outer layer was minimum security. The inner, inner circle, inner cell was maximum security. He decides to put them in the centermost cell so that it'll be hard for them to escape. And not only that, people who are in the center, you know, the inner wall, the inner cell of the prison, the walls were lower so you could never stand up because they believed that if you could stand up, that's easier for them to run away. But if they have to, to bend down or crawl and get away, it'll, be, it'll make, it, make it harder for them to escape. So imagine Paul and Silas in a prison where they're bent over and they're in stocks and they're bleeding because they were flogged just a few minutes ago. This is how serious, like seriously, the prisoner does not want them to escape, okay, because he loves his family. Next verse. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul the apostle was once known by most people as Saul, and he was a Pharisee, which means he studied the scriptures day and night. So if you, in his training, if you were to sing songs or pray, in his training, it was, all, it was 99% certain that he would always recite something from the Old Testament, possibly from the book of Psalms. So when Paul is in prison and he's bent over, he's in shackles, he's, you know, he's, you know, he can't get away, he's praying and he's singing songs based off of songs and prayers that were taught to him in the past. These are composed prayers. And as he's singing these songs, praying these prayers, people in the souls around him, who we are going to assume are people who actually committed crimes, they're listening to them pray and seeing these Old Testament passages. See what happens next. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the uh, prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, let's stop right here for a second. If I were in prison and I had a choice to pray whatever I wanted to, I would probably not pick a prayer from the Old Testament or the New Testament. I would probably pray this. This is so uncomfortable. Please get me out of here. And I would even probably pray, like, would your angels come here and open those gates right now by shaking the floor? And we'll like, oh my gosh, yes, thank you for answering my prayer. Let's get out of here. But that's not what happens in the story. Verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Why did he try to kill himself? 
because the people he was supposed to watch are now gone, he thinks, and so whatever was supposed to come upon them is now going to be done to him and his family. So he thought, it'd be better for me to just take my own life. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here, not just Paul and Silas, all the other prisoners who might have committed a crime that's more serious than Paul and Silas, they were all still there. What happened? What happened here? You see, as Paul and Silas, as they were singing and reciting these Old, Old Testament prayers, what they chose to do consciously, okay, was rather than lifting up my own prayers, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out psalms that King David sang hundreds of years ago. I'm going to pick out psalms and songs that maybe Abraham sang thousands of years ago. I'm going to pick out songs that Moses might have sang thousands of years ago. I'm going to pick out all these songs and start reciting them and praying them because, for this one reason, because I want to do the same thing and I want to have the same attitude as the people who prayed in the Old Testament. I want to be one of God's people who are praying prayers that are in line with what God wants me to pray. So I'm going to look at the people, the godly people from the Old Testament from before me, and I'm going to recite the exact same prayers until I have the same mindset as the people back then. And so when the gates opened, this is probably what was going through Paul's mind. I'm set free. I could get out of here. There's nobody here to stop me because the guard is sleeping. I could get out of here. I could actually get, Silas, let's get out of here. That's not what, what's going through his mind. He's thinking this. If I were to escape from here, I'll be free. But the cost of that freedom is the life of the prisoner and uh, the prison guard and his family. Is my freedom worth the torture of this family? And after praying all these prayers and singing these songs that, that the saints before me came, you know, the stuff they prayed, when I look at that and when I sing it and when I pray it, what I'm realizing is this is inconsistent with God's people. God's people would not trade their own freedom, uh, would not trade somebody else's life for their own freedom. So they decided to stay. But not only that, the people who are around them who are criminals, who heard these prayers and songs from, from the past, their hearts were changed too, and they decided to stay also. There's a book that I've been reading, and I recommend, if you're into this kind of prayer, I recommend you, it's, it's a book called Common Prayer, and it's these ancient prayers that this guy and this team of people just put together. In the introduction, Shane Claiborne, he's the author of this book. This is what he says. It is about liturgical prayers, these common, these prayers. It is about entering a story. It is about orienting our lives around what God has been doing throughout history. And it is about being sent forth into the world to help write the next chapter of that story. And this is powerful. As Paul was singing these songs from the past, as he was praying these prayers from the past, he said, I'm about, you know, this, this Christian movement's moving along. I'm about to write the next chapter of this God story. Can I write a story? Can I write down as part of God's story as somebody who was set free, but, may, but, but because of that, a whole family had to be tortured for it? I can't do that. So looking at the story that God has been telling all this time through history, now it's my turn to write a story and add to this story, and I cannot, for the life of me, write a story about me escaping into freedom while this family suffered, so I am going to stay. He wrote the next chapter of the story by saying, what Jesus did was he took on the suffering of the world so that everybody else could be set free, not the other way around. Do you see how these composed prayers, it could transform us? And as we think about and meditate about it, 
when we offer up a prayer to God, it is well-shaped, molded, edited, and you lift it up and say, here is my prayer offering to you. I pray that is a sweet aroma. It's a sweet aroma to you as an offering. And God smells it and says, yes, this is exactly what I've been hoping that we would be praying today. Praying written prayers joins us with everyone who sought to have a heart aligned with God. A lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about kind of retreating into our own little cubicle or into the middle of the woods where nobody else is around, you know, that kind of stuff, and you just pray. And maybe a light comes, you know, I don't know. That's never happened to me, but some of you might have that story, right? <clears throat> and you have that one-on-one with God. That's important. Like I said, I'm not discounting any different types of form, forms of prayer. I'm just saying this is a different kind of prayer. But these people in the last 2,000 years of church history, what they did was, as they prayed these prayers, even though they were alone, they realized that they're actually part of a bigger family that stretches not through, you know, like not just to my congregation, but to people who existed before me, to think this prayer I'm praying right now has been prayed by somebody from 300 years ago. To think that the prayer I'm about to pray right now has been prayed throughout the church history for 2,000 years, it makes you feel like you're connected to a bigger group of people. And that's why this composed prayer has other names like liturgical prayer, but some people even call it this. They call it a communal prayer because we feel like we're part of a community of people that goes beyond just space, but goes beyond time. So what we're going to do, and this is, if this is your first time with us, is I want you to know this is not what we typically do. But what we're going to do today is something different. We're going to all practice this together because it's a communal prayer. Now, we're going to do two of them, one right now and another one after our, during our benediction. But for both of them, I have to teach you um, a term that's going to be on the screen that you're going to have to know what it means. Okay, so when it comes up, you know what to do. The first one is this. It's called silence for meditation. You're going to find out in the middle of this prayer, there's going to be a slide up there that's going to say silence for meditation. During this time, just stand in silence. God might speak to you. He might not, and that's okay. It's just, you just stand there in silence. That's it. Okay? Another thing you have to know is on the screen, I'm about to put up some words. The white parts are for me to read. The yellow parts is for all of you to read. So you have to read it together. Okay? Are we cool with that? So let's all stand. This is what we do. In liturgical prayers, this is what we do. This is what's been done for 2,000 years. <coughs> okay, so here we go. Draw us into your love, Christ Jesus, and deliver us from fear. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, silence and meditation.
Make us worthy, Lord, to serve our brothers and sisters throughout the world who live and die in poverty and pain. Give them today, through our hands, their daily bread, and through our understanding, love. Give peace and joy. Amen. 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 So we're going to close with a benediction. Uh, but this composed prayer has another phrase that some of you may not be familiar with, and that's this. It's called passing the peace. The word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom, and peace doesn't mean a lack of chaos. It means everything is set right. Everything is good. And what that means for you is inside of you, God has been doing a work. And there's a part of you that you feel like is, is on the path to being good, or maybe already is. And so when it says pass the peace, it means to pass that on to the person next to you whether if it's in a handshake, a high five, a hug, a holy kiss, be careful by that, with that one. Or maybe it's a good word. You could just say, you know, God bless you. That's what passing the peace means. So when we get to that point, which is at the very end of this prayer, I want you to turn to each other and pass the peace. Okay. And by the way, for some of you, this is like, man, this is so old school. It feels very Catholic. It feels very traditional. So Westlake Community Church, our denomination affiliation is Free Methodism. And we believe in this thing called Via Media, which means whichever side you're on, if you're hyper-charismatic, or if you're very traditional, we accept both sides. So I just wanted to, you to know that what we're doing right now, you know, if this isn't for you, that's okay. But don't judge the person next to you who's really into this. Okay, so let's take a look at this prayer. Blessed are the poor, the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, for they are the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and justice. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray that your fruit would be in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Dear Jesus, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. Suffer me not to be separated from you. From the malicious enemy, defend me. In the hour of my death, call me. And bid me come to you, that with your saints I may praise you forever and ever. Amen. Through our lives and by our prayers, May your kingdom come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.